escorted by police and flanked by thousands of excited villagers, the teenage bride entered her home, resplendent in red, her arms covered in conch shell bangles and vermilion streaked on her forehead. It was the second time she had come to her marital home. Local Hindus had alleged that Jashoda Sundari, the wife of Dalit day labourer Rajani Kantanath, had been kidnapped by a Muslim mob. Fed up with poverty and her husband's ill-treatment, lawyers for the accused Muslims responded, Jashoda had in fact left home after converting to Islam. The Chittagong magistrate who decided the case in 1926 carved Jashoda up. Her body belonged to the Muslims by virtue of her conversion and to her husband by marriage, historian Pradeep Kumar Datta records. Ever since the savage killing of Shraddha Walkar in New Delhi, the century-old debate over what we today call love jihad, spearheaded by the Hindu right-wing, has become increasingly intense. Across India, Hindu nationalist groups are pushing for more aggressive laws to stop women from being seduced or coerced into interfaith relationships. Actress Tunisha Sharma, Raichur flower shop workers Bharti and Rehan, Tanu Sharma and Irfan Sheikh, like in late colonial India, interfaith relationships have become a bitterly contested issue, mired in a toxic politics of religious identity. The story of Jashoda and many like her in late colonial India shows how the policing of women ends up denying them agency and disempowering those whose lives are in genuine danger because of abusive relationships. The time has come for India to stop looking to police to control women's choices and instead police the men who endanger them. Loving can be a dangerous thing. The killing of defiant daughters cuts across fates. Ayushi Chaudhary, Vijaya Kamble, Amina Khatun were all killed in recent months in the name of religious and caste honour. Khushi Ahmed's marriage to a Hindu sparked riots in New Delhi. Last year, Sarvesh Kumar infamously paraded down a Hardoi street with his daughter's severed head to protect the family's honour. Ever since the 19th century, India's castes and religious communities have savagely guarded against the transgression of sexual rules. Even when women have asserted their relationships or religious conversions were voluntary, just as Jashoda did, their partners have sometimes ended up in prison. From 1872 onwards, the colonial state opened up space for couples to marry across religious lines, but only if they renounced their own faith. Furious protests still flowed in, Parvez Moody has written. A group of Merat residents, for example, claimed, women of this country are generally uneducated and lack sufficient discrimination and men of bad character would have little difficulty inducing them to go before a registrar. The biggest concern for those who opposed the new rules was the transgression of caste. The colonial police often found themselves enmeshed in these disputes. The Indian Penal Code enacted in 1860 cast women as potential victims of enticement and abduction. The law codified the notion of being seduced into illicit intercourse, which of course meant sexual relationships other than with husbands. The law was often used to press for state action to end transgressive relationships. Contemporary Bengali true crime fiction tells us that women in colonial India 
did have desires. Desires that provoked fear in many men then, just as they do today. Literature was full of women who had secret liaisons with lovers or eloped with inappropriate men. The modern Indian police force set up in 1861 was charged with enforcing these norms, not with defending the sexual choices of women. In the late 19th century, love jihad was imagined into existence as competing Hindu and Muslim revivalist movements fought to secure the frontiers of communal identity. The bodies of women became the terrain of contestation between Hindu nationalism and Islamic revivalism. Fiction in Hindi, historian Charu Gupta records, became awash with sexually charged lustful men violating the pure body of Hindu women. Across northern India, pop fiction and pamphlets proliferated warning Hindus of an existential threat from the forced conversion of women to Islam. They roamed with carts through cities and villages, one particularly lurid pamphlet claimed, and take away women who were then put behind the veil and made Muslims. Love Jihad flared into outright mass conflict on several occasions. The affair between Kanpur Deputy Commissioner Raza Ali and a Hindu widow in 1924 led to mass protests, while riots broke out after rumours of an abduction spread across Mathura four years later. Like today, vigilante organizations were set up to enforce norms. In Jampur in 1927, a Muslim and his wife were twice stopped by Arya Samajist vigilantes in Shahganj and the woman was forced to show her face and hands in order to prove that she was not a Hindu being abducted, historian Gupta has recorded. The purported victims of these abductions were generally returned to their families by police in an effort to keep the peace and maintain colonial authority. The women themselves, police records show, were rarely consulted. Through the Second World War, historian Yasmin Khan has written, concerns over miscegenation flared sharply again. Famine in Bengal had led to a massive surge in sex work, coinciding with the arrival of large numbers of American and African troops in starvation-hit Bengal. Muslim leader Abdul Qasim Fazlul Haq complained that he had been barred from raising questions on this issue in the Legislative Assembly. Fazlul Haq claimed some 30,000 women had been sent to serve Allied soldiers. In the veins of some, American blood will flow, in others English, while in others again, the blood of Indian soldiers of different communities will flow, the Delhi newspaper Ansari lamented. An entire generation of bastards will thus come amongst us. Muslims weren't the only ones worried by changing mores in the Second World War period. Limit the cinema and the dance hall, the Anglo-Indian Review exhorted women from the community and take to the kitchen and the sewing machine. Fears over miscegenation, of course, haunted the other side of the imperial relationship too. Although the United States military commanders accepted the reality that soldiers in India would have sex, they prohibited troops from marrying while serving in Southern Asia. Lieutenant General Joseph Vinegar Joe Stilwell, a legendary commander, privately said the marriage rule was intended, and I quote, to prevent the mixed calamities that would develop. Even though the New Republic promised equality for women, their choices continued to be proscribed by the deepest kind of tyranny, which is tradition. 500 people had gathered in the village of Mehrana near Mathura, to watch the parents of the couple tighten the noose around the necks of their teenage children. 
18-year-old Vijendra Jatav had been tortured through the night for having dared to elope with a higher caste girl, Roshni. He was hung upside down while lati blows were delivered on the soles of his feet and legs. A burning rag was shoved into his mouth. Then, in the morning, Vijendra and Roshni were taken out and hanged from a village banyan tree, together with the friend who had helped them elope. Eight men were eventually sentenced to life for this forgotten 1991 crime. And community leaders hailed them as heroes. I would have done the same thing, farmer leader Mahindra Singh Tiket proclaimed in the wake of the killings. Like thousands before and after them, Roshni and Vijendra could not turn to the police. Even though the law guaranteed them protection, the couple knew the state drew its legitimacy from upholding tradition and not the rights of women or couples. 30 years on, just look at the newspaper headlines and you'll see very little has changed. Funds meant to enhance police protection for women have been wasted, while funds meant for setting up helplines and crisis centres to support victims of sexual crimes are unspent. The inexorable price of choice, and in fact adulthood itself, is risk. Like so many other women do, Shraddha Walker entered a toxic relationship which had hideous consequences. The state needs to be enabling women to seek the help they need, not punish the choices they make. The question that should be haunting all of us is why Walker felt unable to seek help from either the police or her family, not her choice of partner. I'm Praveen Swami and I'm National Security Editor of The Print. Thank you for listening to this week's Security Code.